everyone. We are back with reading the book of Matthew, the God-breathed word. I hope everybody is having a blessed day, night, wherever it is when you're tuning in. So tonight we're going to start with Matthew 8, 28, where Jesus casts out demons. We learned several things about demons in this passage. They recognize the deity of Christ and they're limited in their knowledge. They know they will ultimately be judged by Christ. They cannot act without the permission of the higher authority. So it says in Matthew 8:28, when he arrived at the other side in the country of the gardeners, two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs met him. They were so extremely fierce and violent that no one could pass by that way. And they screamed out, What business do we have in common with each other, Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the appointment, appointed time of judgment? To <clears throat> Some distance from them, from a large herd of pigs was grazing. The demons began begging him, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out of the men and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and died in the water. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the men under the power of demons. And the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and as soon as they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Matthew 9. And Jesus, getting into a boat, crossed over the Sea of Galilee and came to Capernaum, his own city. They brought to him a man who was paralyzed, lying on a stretcher. Seeing their active faith springing from confidence in him, Jesus said to the paralytic, Do not be afraid, son. Your sins are forgiven. The penalty is paid, the guilt removed, and you are declared to be in the right standing with God. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This man blasphemes by claiming the rights and prerogatives of God. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil? In your hearts, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven and the penalty paid, or to say, get up and walk. Both are possible for God and both are impossible for man. So in 9.2, when it says their active faith, this refers to the faith of the paralytic as well as that of the men who were carrying him. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority and the power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And he got up and went home, healed and forgiven. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God and praised him, who had given such authority and power to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, Follow me, as my disciple, accepting me as your master and teacher, and walking the same path of life that I walk. And Matthew got up and followed him. Then as Jesus was reclining at the table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, including non-observant Jews, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, Those who are healthy have no need for a physician, but only those who are sick. Go learn what this scripture means. I desire compassion for those in distress and not animal sacrifice, for I did not come to call to repentance the self-proclaimed righteous who see no need to change, but sinners, those who recognize their sin and actively seek 
forgiveness. So in Matthew 9.10, the tax collectors were often uh, despised, not only because they were seen as traitors working for the hated Roman government, but also because they generally collected more than necessary and pocketed the, the difference. And in Matthew 9, 12, and 13 that we just read, those who are healthy have no need. Jesus refers, ironically, to the Pharisees as the righteous. They were not righteous. That was, that was only how they perceived themselves because of their pious or scrupulous law-keeping. God is more interested in a person's loyal love than the observance of external rituals. There's nothing we can do. We're not good. And to live like the Pharisees would be following the law. And that would be perceiving yourself as self-righteous, walking around self-righteously as you don't need a savior because you can do this on your own. Um, As long as you're following, you know, the commandments or you're doing good deeds. That's not what God is looking for. God is looking for love in your heart, a repentant heart, Because we know that there's going to be times that we are going to fall short of his glory. It says it in the Bible. We are going to fall short of his glory. We are not perfect. We are only perfect in his eyes when we fall short of that glory, when we pick up our cross, when we die to our sins and we pick up our cross. A repentant heart is when we grieve in our sin. Whew. So... Oh, here we go. And then it says in Matthew, we are in 914. Then the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus asking, Why do we and the Pharisees often fast as a religious exercise, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus replied to them, Can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. They didn't need to fast in the presence of Jesus, but we're not in the presence of Jesus, only in the spirit. So we fast and we pray. And that's showing the Lord that we can be accountable, that we can be obedient and long suffering for others in prayer. But no one puts a piece of unshrunk new cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor is new wine put into old wineskins that have lost their elasticity. Otherwise, the wineskins burst and the fermenting wine spills and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. So I want to talk a little bit about Matthew 9.22 because at first I didn't understand, like, what does this mean? What, what does the, the mean? Because, oh, it's not 9.22, sorry. Not Matthew 9.22, what I just read. Matthew 9.14. I'm sorry, forgive me. Let's read it again. So what is the meaning of Matthew 9, 14 through 17? Jesus says to John's disciples that followers of God will not follow after God in a different way. You see, whereas before the disciples or followers of God would fast in order to seek God and feel his presence, 
the followers of God can now experience the presence of God by being with Jesus. So we fast and we pray. Um, we have that the new wine is put into new wineskins. And that, that means that um, we live in times of deep and radical change. And I'm not always sure how to identify what is really new and what is no longer new and needs to be thrown away. And I ask for the wisdom to know how to distinguish what is new and what is not and to be able to renew myself all the time. So new wine and new wineskins. What new things did Jesus bring us? What novelty do his words and his actions convey? He tells me that I can only possess this novelty if I have a new heart, one that resembles his own meek, compassionate, trustful, and open to God and others. I never understood that verse at first, and I was like, wow, what a revelation. So let's move on to Matthew 9, 18, Miracles of Healing. While he was saying these things to them, a ruler, synagogue official, entered the house and kneeled down and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just now died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to accompany the ruler with his disciples. Then a woman who had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the tassel fringe of his outer robe. For she had been saying to herself, If I only touch his outer robe, I will be healed. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Take courage, daughter. Your personal trust and confident faith in me has made you well. And at once the woman was completely healed. When Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players, who were professional hired mourners, and the grieving crowd making an uproar, he said, Go away. For the girl is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed and jeered at him. But when the crowd had been sent outside, Jesus went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the news about this spread throughout all that district. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, screaming loudly, Have mercy and compassion on us, son of David, Messiah. When he went into the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe with a deep abiding trust that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, your trust and confidence in my power and my ability to heal, it will be done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows this. And that is when Jesus may have wanted to discourage the masses from coming to him for physical healing alone, because his primary purpose was spiritual healing. His primary purpose wasn't the physical, it was spiritual. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the whole district. While they were going away, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out by Jesus, the mute man spoke, and the crowds wondered in amazement, saying, Never before has anything like this miracle been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He cast out the demons by the power of the ruler of demons. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, his words and his works reflecting his messiahship. 
When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion and pity for them because they were dispirited and distressed like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the workers are few. That means the harvest will mark the beginning of the kingdom age. For the lost, it will mean doom, but for the saved, it will mean blessing. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Matthew 10. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority and power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. We still have that authority. We have that authority to cast out demons and heal the sick, laying our hands on the sick. Now, these are the names of the 12 apostles, special messengers, personally chosen representatives. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. The 12 are called disciples in verse 1. Here they are called apostles. The word apostle emphasizes the delegated authority. So Philip and Bartholomew, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Thomas and Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, James, the son of Elphus, and Thaddeus, Judas, not Iscariot, Simon and the Canine, Zelot, and Judas, the Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Jesus sent out these 12, instructing them, do not go among the Gentiles and do not go into a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons, and freely you have received, freely give. Do not take gold or silver or even copper money in your money belt or a provision bag for your journey or even two tunics or sandals or a staff for the worker deserves his support. Whatever city or village you enter, ask who in it is worthy, who welcomes you and your message, and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you go into the house, give it your greeting, that is, peace be to this house. If the family living in the house is worthy, welcoming you and your message, give it your blessing of peace, that is a blessing of well-being and prosperity, the favor of God. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not welcome you, nor listen to your message as you leave this house or city, shake the dust off it, off your feet, and contempt breaking all ties. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city since it rejected the Messiah's message. More tolerable means this verse together with 11.22 through 24 implies that there will be different degrees of judgment and torment for those who reject Christ. Listen carefully. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We're in Matthew 10.17. Beware of men whose nature is to act in opposition to God, For they will hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And that means God would use Jewish Jewish rejection and persecution of the messengers to bring the gospel message to the Gentiles. 
and you but when they hand you over do not worry about how or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given you within that very hour for it is not you speaking but the spirit of the father speaking through you brother will betray brother to death and the father his child and children will rise up and rebel against their parents and cause them to be put to death and you will be hated by everyone because of your association with my name but it is the one who has patiently persevered and endured to the end who will be saved when they persecute you in one city because of your faith in me flee to the next for i assure you and most solemnly say to you you will not finish going through all the cities of israel before the son of man comes a disciple is not above his teacher nor is a bond servant above his master it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the bond servant like his master if they have called the head of the house bilzebub satan how much more will they speak evil of the members of his household persecution is believers must know that what the world has called our lord it will call us the world has hated jesus without cause and they will hate those who bear his name in the same way so do not be afraid of them for nothing is hidden that will not be revealed at judgment or kept secret that will not be made known at the judgment what i say to you in the dark privately tell in the light publicly and what you hear whispered in your ear proclaim from the housetops do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell and that is jesus god are not two little sparrows sold for a copper coin and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered for the father is sovereign and has complete knowledge so do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows therefore the one who confesses and acknowledges me before men as lord and savior affirming a state of oneness with me that one i will also confess and acknowledge before my father who is in heaven so every act of our lives will be evaluated at the judgment seat of christ and to refuse to speak up for christ because of intimidation or persecution will result in the believer's loss of reward and consequent loss of glory in the kingdom do not think that i have come to bring peace on earth i have not come to bring peace but a sort of division between belief and unbelief for i have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household when one believes and another does not he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he who does not take his cross expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me believing in me conforming to my example in living and if need be suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me is not worthy of me does not take his cross as saying taking up a cross stands for commitment to the extent of being willing to die for something 
Whoever finds his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. And whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it that is life with me for all eternity. Now we're in Matthew 10, 40. He who receives and welcomes you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives and welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous, honorable man because he is righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives to one of these little ones, those who are humble in rank or influence, even a cup of cold water to drink because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. When Jesus had, now we're in Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their Galilean cities. Now when John the Baptist in prison heard about the activities of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and asked him, Are you the expected one, the Messiah, or should we look for someone else who will be the promised one? In 11.3, it says, should we look? John probably expected the Messiah to immediately judge Israel and establish his kingdom. But Jesus' failure to do what John anticipated may have planted seeds of doubt in John's mind about whether Jesus was the Messiah. But doubt that inquires and does not weaken faith is not evil. John went to the right person for answers, and Jesus reassured him by pointing out the fulfillment of prophecy. So Jesus answered, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed by healing and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed, joyful, favored by God is he who does not take offense at me, accepting me as the Messiah and trusting confidently in my message of salvation. Jesus wants our hearts. He walked this earth to give us the prophecies and the God-breathed word that was breathed through the Spirit for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John to write the Gospels. Even the book of Revelation, which we're going to read from Matthew to Revelation. So I hope that you follow along with this series. And we will pick up in Matthew eleven seven tomorrow. I am reading through this every single day to keep myself accountable. And also, I know there's people out there that maybe you don't know how to read or you don't like to read, but I still feel like you want to hear the Word of God. So that's why I'm doing these recordings, and I hope that you enjoyed this. And when I have a revelation, I will speak about it and um, just shout it from the rooftops because beautiful things happen in the name of Jesus. So God bless and until tomorrow.